0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I basically choose a topic every week that I don't know enough about or want to learn more about, research it, and present it to you so we can all learn together. So, this week we were talking about the Great Depression. Now, I'm not exactly sure what, uh, what prompted me, I guess, to research the Great Depression this week, I'm pretty sure people were talking about like the kind of recession that we're in and the 2008 recession. And it got me thinking about what it would be like to live through another event like the Great Depression and living through the first one, you know, because I have seen all the pictures of bread lines and and soup kitchen lines and things like that during the Great Depression. And I don't think I realized how bad it got. And so I wanted to Read about it, figure out how people kind of survived the Great Depression, what was happening during that time, what caused it, is can it happen again? Basically. So all those questions I had going in, and it was very, very informative to research this and learn about the people that lived through this time. So that is what we were learning about this week. I hope you enjoy. Oh, in other big news that I did not remember in the intro, it is our two-year anniversary of a millennial learns being a thing. So thank you all so much for listening and continuing to listen. Make sure you go rate and review the podcast. I have not mentioned that in a while, but it really helps if you get a, a five-star on whatever platform you're listening to. But I'm so excited. I've learned so much over the course of this podcast. I feel like it's been this great personal. You know, learning adventure for me and I've just loved every minute learning about all these different things and a wide variety of topics and it's like a great hobby for me and I truly just enjoy learning new things and sharing it with you all. So thank you all for sticking it out with me and I'm glad you're here for this two-year anniversary. So we're heading into season three. This is going to be season three episode one. I'm just doing seasons by years. So, um, so we're in season three. Welcome. Um, okay. Let's get into the great depression. So most of these, most of these bullet points are from various history.com, uh, sites that I will link in the description so you can go read in more depth, but I just kind of converted the articles into bullet points. So we get the main things. Um, so, what was the Great Depression? Basically, the Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world. It was huge. Like a, you know, people were unemployed, people were unable to buy food. It was a huge economic downturn. It lasted way longer than I had thought. I guess this is always kind of how it is like when I research things, I'm like did I know this beforehand? (laughs) Like I knew that the twenties were the roaring twenties and the thirties were the great depression. So I, I guess essentially I knew that it lasted a decade, but yes, it lasted a very long time from October, 1929 when the stock market first crashed to 1939. Now I had originally thought that the stock market crashed in the thirties at some point, but no, at the very end of the roaring twenties is when the stock market actually crashed October, of 1929. So what caused the Great Depression is the big big question. Well, over the course of the 20s, the nation's total wealth more than doubled. That is between 1920 and 1929, the nation's wealth more than doubled. The stock market was, quote, the scene of reckless speculation. That's what this history.com article was saying. So everyone was putting A lot of their money most of their savings into the stock market which made the stock market rapidly expand and really really quickly grow people were just you know I feel like people now are kind of more careful like they'll put a little portion of their savings or whatever into the stock market for the vast majority it sounded like back then the vast majority was dumping their their savings into the stock market The stock market peaked like the expansion peaked in august of 1929 however by that time production had started to decline and there was unemployment that was starting to rise just because you know it had expanded so quickly it couldn't keep up i think and so the production had started to slow down a little bit there was a little bit more unemployment and so because of this the stock prices were valued way higher than they should be like there was no way to justify the price of the stock based on the company so this says that additionally the wages at that time were low so there was a lot of consumer debt happening the there was a drought and so um the agricultural sector of the economy was struggling the food prices were falling and then there were a lot of large loans that banks had been giving out that could not be liquidated they didn't have enough cash to actually uh liquidate these loans so the chain of events that kind of led to this recession in August of 1929 was basically that s- consumer spending started slowing down and then that made the amount of unsold goods start becoming too many. They started piling up and there were surpluses of a lot of things. That then slowed factory production, then unemployment went up because the factory production was going down. So, that's kind of the how everything started slowing, but the problem was investing just continued and stock prices were still going up and up and up. And usually stock prices are tied to expected future earnings of a company. So let's say someone goes on Shark Tank and they say, I want, you know, 10% of my company for $10 million. Well, the way they're justifying that is they say, we think our company is valued at a hundred million because we're earning this much. And so that's how you kind of get that tie into the value of your stock price or the value of your share. At this point, since they were just still going up and up and up, but the value of the companies was not going up, the stock prices could not be justified anymore or tied to expected future earnings. They were just wildly too high. So this led to two major events called Black Thursday and Black Tuesday. They happened five days apart from each other. Black Thursday was on October 24th, 1929 investors all of a sudden on this day started selling their overpriced shares because they were nervous you know because the prices were way too high and you could not justify them so investors started selling overpriced shares and then more and more and more and more investors started doing the same thing so there was this mass selling of shares all on october 24th 1929. 12.9 million shares were traded in that one day And that is why it's called Black Thursday. Now, five days later on October 29th, 1929, even more shares were sold. 16 million shares were traded in a second wave of panic, it says investors uh, who had bought stocks on margin, which is in quotes or with borrowed money were completely wiped out. A lot of these shares that had been so overpriced and inflated were found to be worthless. And so a lot of people just lost so much money in this crash so the downturn of spending and and investment led factories and businesses to drastically slow down they had to start firing workers a lot of people fell into debt there were tons of foreclosures and repossessions that were you know the number just kept going up and up and up and so this is really the start of the great depression like when all these people were panicking and selling their shares. That's kind of the the start of the official Great Depression. And it just kind of got worse from there. So the other interesting thing that I never I hadn't really thought of was that all of the well it says global adherence. So I'm assuming the majority of the developed countries in the world were tied to the gold standard which caused the economic issues in the United States to spread throughout the world because of the you know, exchange rate and, and all adhering to the gold standard. So it wasn't just America that was hit hard. It was, you know, I think, the US that got hit the, the worst of anyone. But especially in Europe, because we were all in the same gold standard system, Europe also got hit very hard so that initial crash again happened in 1929 but it said that the next three years just continued to get worse so four million americans were out of work by 1930 six million americans were out of work by 1931. again the, the famous pictures you've seen and stuff like that of bread lines soup kitchens all of that was becoming very common homelessness was becoming common a lot of times farmers couldn't afford to harvest their crops and they were just forced to leave them rotting while other people went hungry like in other parts of the states or in the city and so everything was just breaking down and getting completely you know way worse and then on top of that there were severe droughts in the plains and in the southern plains and it says that this drove people to cities to try to find work so Not only was the Great Depression happening, but the Dust Bowl, which I'll probably do an entire episode about, like the causes of the Dust Bowl, I didn't realize that the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression overlapped. Like, they were at the exact same time, which is the worst possible time (laughs) to have something like the Dust Bowl. So, people were coming into cities, there was no work, work was drastically declining, um, so it was just a confluence of very, very bad things another thing that was happening during those first three years of the great depression that contributed it that contributed to it getting just worse and worse and worse were bank runs so this sounded very terrible um but it was basically where investors lost their confidence in the solvency of banks and they demanded all their deposits in cash so that forced banks to liquidate their loans in order to supplement their insufficient cash reserves on hand. So they didn't have enough cash, but everyone demanded their deposits in cash. So they had to liquidate all their loans. These bank runs swept the US. It wasn't just in like one city or state or anything. It was countrywide from what I understand. And there were four bank runs. So the first one was that one in the fall of 1930. Then there was one in the spring of 1931 the fall of 1931 and the fall of 1932 so these bank runs really really hurt banks and by the early part of 1933 it says that thousands of banks had been forced to close so yeah that is really bad when a ton of banks are closing all at once now Hoover was the president at the time, and his administration tried to support these banks with some government loans. However, Hoover was the former U.S. Secretary of Commerce. He was Republican, and he thought that the government should not directly intervene in the economy, so he wasn't, like, quick to act with any government aid, and this is where I really have to get into the nitty-gritty of, you know, economics to really understand what I think may believe is the right move like would things have recovered with that method or more the roosevelt new deal method and i'm not sure what i think but basically they said he was just more reluctant to step in with any kind of government aid but he did try to support some of these failing banks with government loans now in the middle of this in 1932 was a presidential election and roosevelt won in an overwhelming victory it says in that 1932 election because pretty much who's going to get reelected in the middle of a great depression when it happened during your term you know so roosevelt won by an overwhelming margin and one of the first things he did was that on march 4th 1933 he ordered that all states like any remaining banks in the states to close it said the u.s treasury didn't have enough cash to pay workers And this is where like during this time, right when he got elected, right in the middle of the Great Depression, where I hadn't understood this context of this quote before, he said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. This was at the literal worst, worst part of the Great Depression. So it kind of gives a little more weight to that quote. Um, But Roosevelt's administration came in. They declared a four-day bank holiday so Congress could pass legislation and, you know, go through the banks that they thought were solid and sound, and they would only reopen those sound banks. He also started fireside chats, which is now a very, very common term, but the term fireside chats really, from my understanding, came to be during this Great Depression time where he would kind of directly talk to the people of the US and it seemed to instill a lot of confidence in the public that, you know, that everyone's going to get, get through this. The next thing he did is pass legislation that was going to try to stabilize industrial and agricultural production. He wanted to create jobs, stimulate the, uh, the recovery from the Great Depression. He also created the FDIC and the SEC, which the point of those two organizations were to protect any depositors accounts and then also to regulate the stock market because there were some abuses and some of the issues that caused the original crash the SEC was put in place to make sure that those weren't happening anymore so I think from what I'm from what I understand the Great Depression wouldn't happen again at least because of the same cause because the SEC is now there to kind of regulate and prevent some of those abuses that caused the crash of course the economy could crash or go into a decline for maybe other reasons that we haven't encountered yet or something but at least the original reason why the U.S. went into the Great Depression I believe um, the SEC now is there to kind of regulate okay the original article was not that in-depth about the new deal so they basically just said that there were projects like the tennessee valley authority which built dams and hydroelectric projects it created 8.5 million jobs between 1935 and 1943. then in 1935 congress passed the social security act and there were some slow slow signs of early recovery starting to show later in 1933. but that's really all it said about the new deal so I went to a different history.com article and looked up the new deal to just get more details on what all was passed and what what all happened so let me read some of that here um, so yes it does mention the Tennessee Valley Valley Authority Act um, which enabled the federal government to build dams along the Tennessee River that controlled flooding and generated inexpensive hydroelectric power says the same month, Congress passed a bill that paid commodity farmers to leave their fields fallow in order to end agricultural surpluses and boost prices. So there was way too much of certain crops being uh, being produced like wheat, dairy products, tobacco and corn. And so Congress paid farmers to not harvest their crop. They paid them to keep them afloat and things like that, but they said, listen, we need to get prices back up, so we're just going to let your crops die, essentially grow them, and we're going to let them die. Then there was a National Industrial uh, Recovery Act that was passed in June, and it guaranteed that workers would have the right to unionize and bargain for higher wages and better working conditions. It suspended some antitrust laws, and it also funded the Public Works Administration, which is federally funded. Then there was the Agricultural Adjustment Act. Uh, Oh, let's see, sorry, that was, oh, that's in addition to the Agricultural Adjustment Act, the Tennessee Valley Act, and the National Industrial Recovery Act, Roosevelt had won passage of 12 other major laws, including the Glass-Steagall Act, which was an important banking bill and the Homeowners Loan Act in his first 100 days. So if you hear the term first 100 days, it's because President Roosevelt got in and in the first 100 days of his term, he passed tons and tons of legislation that was trying to stimulate the economy and get everyone out of the Great Depression. It said that almost every American found something to be pleased about and something to complain about in this motley collection of bills, but it was clear to all that FDR was taking the direct vigorous action he'd promised in his inaugural address. Now, we talk about like the Green New Deal now and people are advocating for this quote, Green New Deal. And from what I can tell, it's a drastic like federal overstep. And usually I am very against that. It seems like maybe this was kind of the only option uh, or only good option to pull out of the, the Great Depression. But again, I would have to know much more about economics to know the ins and outs of how this was good and how this was bad. Um, It sounded like it was controversial, but people kind of wanted him to do something, you know? So I guess sometimes it's better to make a wrong move than just do nothing at all. Um, Okay, then this is the second New Deal. So there were actually kind of two new deal says despite the best efforts of president roosevelt and his cabinet however the great depression continued unemployment persisted the economy remained unstable farmers continued to struggle in the dust bowl and people grew angrier and more desperate so sounds like the new deal came with a lot of federal spending and it didn't necessarily have the immediate effect that that people wanted in the spring of 1935 roosevelt launched a second more aggressive series of federal programs called the Second New Deal. Well, it's sometimes called The Second New Deal. He created the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, to provide jobs for unemployed people. They were not, those projects were not allowed to compete with private industry, so they focused on building things like post offices, bridges, schools, highways, and parks. They also gave work to artists and musicians and writers and, and those sorts of, um, sorts of, employees That's not the right word, but people in that industry, in the artistic industry. The National Labor Relations Act was also passed in July of 1935. It was also known as the Wagner Act, and it created the National Labor Relations Board, which would supervise union elections and prevent businesses from treating workers unfairly. Again, the Social Security Act was created, which set up pensions. And so, again, lots of government spending and more taxation and and things like that. But in 1936, he was campaigning for a second term and FDR told a roaring crowd at Madison Square Garden that, quote, the forces of organized money are unanimous in their hate for me and I welcome their hatred. He went on to say, I should I should like to have said it. Wait, I should like to have it said of my first administration that in it, the forces of selfishness and of lust for power met their match. And I should like to have it said of my second administration that in it, these forces have met their master. Okay. Interesting. That was harder to read for me than it should have been. Um, it says this FDR had come a long way from his earlier repudiation of class-based politics and was promising a much more aggressive fight against the people who were profiting from depression era troubles of ordinary Americans. So he won the election by a landslide, it says. It says still the Great Depression dragged on, workers grew more militant, the United Auto Workers strike at a GM plant in December of 1936 lasted for 44 days and spread to 150,000 auto workers in 35 cities. By 1937, 8 million workers had joined unions and were loudly demanding their rights, it said. Okay, this is that the New Deal itself confronted one political setback after another, arguing that they represented an unconstitutional extension of federal authority. So this is kind of like what we hear with the parallels of the Green New Deal now, where it's a huge federal undertaking and it's overstepping its, its federal authority. Um, The conservative majority on the Supreme Court had already invalidated reform initiatives like the National Recovery Administration and the Agricultural Adjustment Administration. Uh, In order to protect his programs from further meddling, in 1937 President Roosevelt announced a plan to add enough liberal justices to the court to neutralize the obstructionist conservatives. Or obstructionists. So, this is the... I don't know if it's the first, but it is an example of court packing so or it was just the threat of court packing it never actually happened but we hear this a lot now because especially like when Roe v Wade was overturned and there's been a few decisions now where people say okay well we're just gonna add more justices to the Supreme Court so that we can do whatever we want which is completely against the original intent of having a Supreme Court but Um, it says the court packing was unnecessary Uh, the Supreme Court caught wind of the plan and the conservative justices started to vote to uphold the New Deal projects Um, but the episode did a good deal of public relations damage to the administration and gave ammunition to the many of presidents congressional opponents yeah because he just wanted to court pack to just get his own way which is a complete abuse of the checks and balances in my opinion Uh, the economy slipped back into a recession when the government reduced its stimulus spending. Despite this seeming, despite this seeming vindication of New Deal policies, increasing anti-Roosevelt sentiment made it difficult for him to enact new programs. So then, uh, 1941 happens, and, uh, well let's back up a little bit war broke out in europe in 1939 and the u.s began to strengthen the military. even though they were still technically neutral in the war they weren't we didn't uh we didn't pick a side or get involved in the war yet but just in case the u.s started to strengthen the military and then roosevelt eventually decided to support britain and france defense manufacturing jobs increased production increased Pearl Harbor happened in December of 1941 where Pearl Harbor was bombed and factories then kicked into full production mode. Unemployment dipped below pre-depression levels by 1942. And so basically we got pulled out of the Great Depression because world because of our involvement in World War II. So, you know, definitely not good World War I or sorry, World War II was definitely not Good, but it was really what kicked us out of the Great Depression. Okay, so that is like the history of it. I wanted to read an article, or you know, I wanted to research kind of what a day in the life almost of a Great Depression family was like. Because, you know, for some cities, I read that the unemployment was like 80%, but then for some states or as a whole, the unemployment was like 20%. So I wanted to know kind of how bad was it for just an average family? I know some people got laid off immediately and they were struggling completely from day one, but was it like that for everyone? Was it really, really bad for the vast majority? And it does seem obviously like it was. So let's see. This says that even um, those who still had steady unemployment saw their wages cut or their hours reduced to part-time. So even people who were kind of upper middle class, like doctors and lawyers, had their incomes cut by as much as 40%, this says. Um, A lot of people, even if they still had jobs, and this this is the part I was missing. Even if you still had a job, your wages were cut by sometimes a very, very significant amount. So if you were kind of living paycheck to paycheck in this kind of affluent way of life and you had a big mortgage, but you were making it work because you had a good job, when this happened and your wages were cut by up to 40%, a lot of people still couldn't pay for their home. So that's why a lot of repossessions happen and foreclosures and things like that. The average American family lived by the Depression era motto, use it up, wear it out, make do or do without. So it said that a lot of people tried to keep up their appearances and kind of carry on with life kind of close to normal. Uh, But really everyone was being extremely frugal. A lot of kitchen gardens were popular. People were not like buying new clothes. A lot of people would have to wear worn out clothes that were patched. And a lot of the... It's funny because I'm doing this whole... Like homesteading thing where I'm trying to learn as many homesteading skills as possible. Sewing, you know having a little garden uh, preserving food, canning things all of these skills people really really needed during this time because you had to be frugal. People were not just unscathed like the vast majority of people were not unscathed and they really had to you know make their food last as long as they could and make their clothes last as long as they could. So um It said that potlucks were very popular because it was a good way to share meals uh, without spending any money. Like, people used to go to the movies all the time in the 20s, and then once the Great Depression happened, no one was going to the movies. So they had to figure out very, very low-cost ways of entertainment. Uh, Women's magazines and radio shows taught homemakers how to stretch their food budget There were a lot of, like, casseroles and one-pot meals, it said, so that it could serve a bunch of people with just a little bit of, you know, just a few ingredients. Uh, Again, it says thrift gardens and small gardens were very, very popular. Between 1931 and 1932, Detroit's thrift garden program provided food for about 20,000 people. Experienced gardeners could be seen helping former office workers still dressed in white button-down shirts and slacks to cultivate their plots. So this is why I feel like it's very important to have skills that are practical. And, uh, I don't know, just to have these skills in your back pocket. Because things happen, you know. Like, recessions and depressions happen and maybe, maybe they won't happen for the same reasons but there's economic turmoil in many parts of the world at many different times so that is part of the reason why i want to learn all these homesteading skills because i would like to you know in the great depression i would have liked to be one of the experienced gardeners you know so that's where i'm trying to get to is to have this knowledge before things uh, hit the fan um okay it says that board games and miniature says miniature golf courses really thrived because well first of all Scrabble and Monopoly both were introduced in the 1930s they both became popular so neighbors would get together and play card games and board games because it was just um it was free basically or very very low cost when you just had to buy Scrabble once and then you could all get together and have a fun game night uh the radio was also a big form of free entertainment and Uh, mini golf courses became a huge craze there were more than 30,000 miniature golf uh, courses that started springing up across the country in the 1930s and it was about 25 to 50 cents per round so it was low cost and a good amount of fun like I think people tried to stay as normal as kind of possible Um, but so they maybe spent some money on entertainment but it was very very little also, this is a women joined the workforce in much bigger numbers because it was just easier to get by if you had two incomes so um a lot of people were or a lot of women worked as secretaries, teachers, telephone operators, and nurses. It said that some women were criticized because they were taking jobs from men, although they were taking most of the jobs that it said that men would never. Like apply to. They wouldn't be applying as a secretary or a teacher at that time. So many more women entered the workforce to try to get their families through the Great Depression. It also says because of all these government assistance programs, there used to be a huge stigma about being on government assistance, and that stigma kind of started going away um, as more and more people had to go on government assistance during the Great Depression. It still wasn't like accepted, but it was much more accepted than it had been a few uh, few years earlier. Okay, one thing, another thing that I just wanted to highlight really quick, which I thought was super interesting, was, you know, there's like a saying, oh, you could wear a potato sack and it would look good or whatever. During the Great Depression, a lot of families were so poor that people had to make their own clothing out of flower bags or feed sacks. And I found this, uh, list of uplifting stories from the great depression. I will link it below because I'm not going to read, I'm probably not going to read any but this one, but I just thought this was so, it almost made me tear up (laughs) at like how nice this is probably because I'm pregnant and my hormones, but, (laughs) but I thought it was really, really nice. Um, just a good example of everyone working together so a lot of families were very poor they had to dress their kids in like flower bags this says it wasn't just something that happened to the poorest of the poor it said an estimated 3.5 million women and children were walking around in flower sacks there were so many women dressing up their families in food packaging that they started holding national sewing contests where women would show off their feed bag dresses now this is where it gets nice the flower companies saw that this was happening and saw that people were in such bad times that they had to wear their bags as dresses. So they started designing their bags to, it says to give the families more dignity. Like instead of just walking around in a brown burlap sack, they started making their bags colorful patterns so that the women could make prettier clothing for their families. So some of them, it says also even added cutout patterns for gui- and guides for stuffed animals. So they would say like, they would include in the flower bag, here is how the pattern, here's the pattern for how to make a stuffed animal out of this flower bag. It says that yes, they were partially motivated by profit, but uh, the companies did not turn this into an advertisement instead. And this is where it was also really nice they started printing like most of these companies started printing their logo or their name in washable um, ink and then added instructions on how to wash off the company's logo so that you could turn the bag into a dress or uh, clothes or a um, stuffed animal or something like that. So. They were really, like, it, it seemed like everyone was really pulling together and really selfless, and even these companies who could have and probably would today, like, turn it into a thing where, oh, yeah, you're wearing this logo a flower bag, and they would really promote their logo. They were like, listen, buy our flower bag. You can wash off the logo and make an actual nice dress out of it. And I don't know. It was just a nice thing to, to help each other out in a dark time. So there's more stories that are kind of similar to that where people really reached out and and helped each other and it's just very nice um but that was my favorite one so i'll link that below if you want to go look but that is all i have on the history of the great depression i hope you learned a lot i know i did and it's just amazing to think that like our would it be our grandparents maybe great grandparents lived through some of these dark extremely dark times like to go from the Great Depression straight into World War One sucks. Like, I know World War... Oh my gosh, I keep saying World War I. I mean World War II. The thought of, you know, when you're reading, just reading this on paper, and you're saying, okay, well, the Great Depression ended because World War II started and factory production went up and blah, 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 blah. But thinking about the reality of actually living through 10 years of the Great Depression, not having work, trying to stretch all your money stretch your food budget, like really, really struggling, not being able to buy clothes, having to sew clothes out of a flour bag. And then the bright spot of that where the economy finally turns up is because of like the biggest war in the world. It just seems terrible. So people back in this day lived, really lived through some stuff. And I feel like we're just so lucky and blessed to really not have had anything to that scale in my life like people in my generation i feel like a lot of times really complain about a lot like oh we had the 2008 recession and we can't get jobs and the housing prices are going up and blah 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 but we didn't live through the great depression or world war ii you know there's a lot more worse things that have happened in history so i like learning about these things just so i get a better perspective about what actually people have lived through because then it helps you feel more grateful about what we're doing today like things might seem a little bit bad today but it's not the great depression and it's not world war ii so we have that to be thankful for anyway that's my little rant about (laughs) perspective but i hope you enjoyed the episode uh make sure to rate and give it a review And I will see you for next week's episode. Bye, everyone.